0: Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash Ways.
1: Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has same-day delivery on the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is
0: more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard. The perfecter of the patio. And the cleaner of the clippings.
2: One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com.
0: Alarm! Alarm! Welcome to we have ways to make you talk. With me, Al Murray, and James Holland. Yes, we're sticking to Alarm Alarm. Yeah, um, I like I th- it. I like I it. I like it. I think we've, what we've done there is uh, after 700 episodes, 701 episodes, we've done one of those rebrands.
3: Maybe we need a completely new look as well.
0: <laughs> Should we get someone to spend a quarter of a million pounds on designing a logo? Yeah. It's a variation <laughs> of us in jackets <laughs> grinning from a tank it's <laughs> a different tank because you know it's time to refresh the tank jim's really- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, face new challenges
3: you know we're in a we're in a firefly we need to be in a, in a cromwell clearly <laughs> um, anyway listen congratulations you've, you've you've finished your run you've had a yes. triumphant final show on saturday well done that, you must that, that's it's a hell of an achievement
0: yeah. I mean, we started on May the 29th or something. Holy it? moly. It's a long time ago. And um, I've had a curious morning of thinking, well, I don't need to think about that. I just don't need to think about it anymore. I don't you can need forget to. forget all the lines. You can forget the lines. I don't, what I also don't have to do is, you know, figure out how I'm getting to the next place. Am I going no. to Airbnb, get no. the train, get the car? Um, and now I also need to sit down and actually grasp the little of writing a new stand-up show and uh, this book. Yeah but, yeah, but that's fun. You can have a bit of time at home. Remember
3: what, yes. what Alan and Daisy looked like and all those sort of things. And um, are you feeling a bit deep, more happy then, post-COVID as well?
0: I, I am actually. And, I, and, I'm, and Yes, I am recovered. Although people can hear I'm quite husky because we did two final shows on the Saturday, wow. during which was great to get back, but during which I basically blew my voice out completely. So um, anyway, but you have been... Um, well, you've been getting to grips with the business of full boating and stuff, Yes,
3: right? Yes, 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 I've been down at We had the training weekend and all I can say is thank God we had the training weekend before doing our, um, our SBS paddle adventure in Scotland later on this month. So the plan is to go from Ardrossan to Oban, yep. uh, which is 61 nautical miles. Never say miles, it's nautical miles. And uh, we now only speak in terms of knots and wave strength and wind strength and all that kind of stuff. Um, and we now know about ebbing tides and, and flows.
0: How much bigger is an nautical mile than a mile? Uh, not by much. Because they're bigger, aren't they? They're bigger. Yeah. There's or they're, lo- they're longer, aren't they?
3: Yeah, but it's you can big. in theory. It's sort of easier, isn't it? Because, you, you, you know, it's sort of as a crow fly, sort of.
0: Yeah. Yes, well, they, yes in theory. Yes, in theory, although we've done an awful lot of tide, wobbling around. Yeah. <laughs> tides and currents tides. have different ideas. But it's yeah. quite a thing because, you know, these these
3: Volbots. they really do absolutely break down into nothing. I mean, they're, they're just genius. And um, and the um, we're being led by a, a former Royal Marine commando called um, Lee Waters, who's just fantastic. He's got just the right level of kind of he's laid back, but because he was you know a senior NCO for twenty years and's got lots of experience, including kind of scars of a bullet hole in his face. You know when he said when he just turns up a notch just half, you just stop immediately. I mean, yesterday he told me off for throwing my glove onto the beach. He said, you know, Jim, in a in a wind in Scotland, that's gone. Always keep it away. So, okay, learn that lesson.
0: Right. So he's
3: he's incredibly genial. Um, he, he's brilliant. You just you just he's just one of those guys you just trust immediately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and there was a whole load of other kind of um various armed forces guys who were preparing for this big. They're doing a big paddle this week up in Scotland. I think they're doing more like 120 miles. Yeah. And then they run in with their boats the last bit. <sighs> Right. I mean, broken them down and put them into cases. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But it's, no, quite, I mean. it's, it's quite a thing. It, they're, they're quite a thing because, you know, they're still the kind of olive drab canvas. Yeah. You know, I think the ones we were in were, mine was called crayfish as well.
0: Right, okay. Oh, well, that's good. That's very strong.
3: So, um, but it's, I, I tell you what, it's, the technique is quite a thing. I, I sort of only really got to grips with it, sort of, I don't know, kind of an hour and a half in yesterday, I'd say. <laughs> Of what the, the kind of technique is. And I wasn't leaning forward enough because it, it, it feels really good. You want to lean backwards. Right. But yeah. you actually need to lean forwards. And, yeah. it, and, it, and it's quite a thing.
0: And what, Engage your core, so to speak. All that kind of stuff. Yeah.
3: Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But weirdly, no blisters at all. No, no blisters. Right. I cut my hand on a muscle, you know, the edge of a muscle. Yeah, yeah. That's quite a lot of blood. Hope glad there wasn't any sharks around.
0: And was the sauce with, I mean, what were they? Marinier or what? what <laughs> <laughs> Avec free. <frites. Yeah. laughs> Straight from the Gironde. Yeah. Poach yourself in the eye with a chip. Yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, first, first, end of first day was quite tiring because, yeah. you know, you sort of, I, I, got, I got down there about half eight. Then we all had to go to weather speeds, obviously, and drink lots yeah, of, of course. Pints, yeah. um and sort of crap food. And finally got back, he was absolutely blowing a hoolie on Friday night. I yeah. had to put up my, my, my little two-man tent right. in the wind. In the wind. But because we were all such team members, everyone came and helped. So that was good. Well, that's good. You yeah. know, I had sort of Ben Wilbond and, and Rob Gallimore kind of both kind of, and, and Saul all kind of, you know, putting in pegs at the right place and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But it was, you know, it was freaking freezing. It was <laughs> actually freezing. I suddenly thought I need to kind of up my game with my sleeping bag before I go to Scotland. Yeah. So, you know, you're not sleeping very much. And then it was up really early the next morning, freezing cold. And the day was hot because the wind was so bad. And, and, I, and i tell you what, it makes you realize paddling around in winter in high winds in the Atlantic, that's just, yeah. that's just crazy. Yeah. It's absolutely crazy. We were, at one point, we were, there was a bit, because we were, went down to Chivener, which is sort of next, sort of near Barnstaple and, and, and Appledore. So the river got, sort of flows, River Tar, I think it is, flows westwards. And then there's all these sort of sandbars and stuff, and it turns yeah. north, it sort of turns northwards, and you head up towards sort of Saunton Sands and Croyd. Yeah. Where the river kind of comes out into the main part of the sea, it, there's sandbars. Yeah. And there's a really big wind. So the net result is you've got, you've got the sort of flow of the river and the tide and everything hitting one another. yeah, And made worse by the wind. So we were at a kind of force four, nearly five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And these boats draw nothing, right? No, it was really, really good fun, but it was yeah. quite, it was quite kind of hairy, teeny bit. I you didn't feel scared because you're kind of with Lee and with your, the other, the other kind of RM guys who kind of, you just know that they've got your back, but.
0: Yeah. And you being followed by a launch. No, you know, in case, no, oh, right, no, 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 none of that.
3: But it's quite, you know, you are being sloshed and you know, suddenly the, the bow of the boat pitches down and you know, you're sloshed over with water. Yep. And, and you've got these kind of skins that sort of go around you, but they don't really, you know, we hadn't really put them on properly, so they didn't really work. So you're taking on quite a lot of water. Mm. And then there was a bit when we were coming back again, and again it was the kind of the tide was just starting to turn, and it was meeting the river. Yeah. So it's just like a, you're just paddling really hard for nothing. And they were all talking about the, the mouth of the Gironde, more yeah, of yeah. which in a minute, yeah. you know, for Operation Frankton. Yeah. A- and you suddenly understood why that is so treacherous. Yeah, And then yesterday it was kind of, you know, beautiful weather, but it's all about tides and it's all about flow. And, you know, when, you, when you're with, with the tide, you, you can do six knots, no problem at all. But the minute
0: that changes, you're going kind of backwards.
3: You're going backwards. You're, you're, you're literally, you're busting your ass to do kind of one knot.
0: Yeah. And the wind, the wind will ensure <laughs> yeah. you're going backwards yeah, too. Yeah, if you, yeah, if yeah, you've yeah. got wind over tide, then you're really, you know, you're
3: and at that moment, it's absolutely miserable. Yeah, And really frustrating. My big problem was that it was just getting in and out. It's
0: just well, you see, I think this is one of the really interesting things because because um, you, you know Saul, Saul David's with you, isn't he? And he he wrote that book about the the SBS or the SBSS or whatever. Yes, yes, of, yes. Because after all, or the no RMBPD. Well, sort of, there's the, the you know or the cop cop survey people. There's no such thing as the SBS essential, or there or there are several, or there isn't one, or you know, it's like one of those. It's sort of, um, it's almost like... Evelyn Bates. Well, it's almost like a sort of theological question, the existence of the SBS during <laughs> the Second World War. <laughs> you know, there's yeah. proof of its existence. But um, anyway, but I thought um, one of the points he makes is, that, and in fact, and actually also talking to the, gu- the guys who did the, um, you know, had the canoes at uh, We Have Ways Fest, the familiarity of these canoeists, of these guys with their canoes, they're, they're just jumping in and out of them. They're completely familiar with them in a way that... Yeah. In a way that I mean you've done your weekends training, but in a way that you won't ever be, that they you're not in boats the whole time, all the time. Yes. All day, every day. All weathers, all climbs, all all um possible situations. So
3: I think that's a fair point, actually. And actually Lee and Rob, who was also that they had their own kind of bespoke-made one-man kayaks. Yeah. Which they kind of already kind of paddled all around, you know, they paddled across a the channel. They've done the, you know, they've paddled all around Britain kind of eight times cross the rsc all this kind of stuff and, and everything about that boat is perfect for lee you know you know exactly where everything is he's, yeah, he's yeah. worked out over the years absolute minimum of what he requires but no extra and he's got everything he needs and and he just gets in and out but i mean you know if, if i was to get into that i'd probably capsize immediately it's a bit like kind of you know a, a single sculling you know double sculling you know what do you call it a single skull it's very very narrow
0: yeah well, it's, I mean, it's like riding a bike. I mean, yeah, they're, they're, yeah. literally, isn't it? And these guys, these guys are the people who went on, who, who went on the shell Raid. They, they, knew exa- they knew exactly what they were doing with boats. They were totally familiar with them, which makes the, what then happens, even sort of even worse. I mean, I, I we're going to talk about Frankton, but I, I read Saul's book and I was messaging at the time, telling Archers enjoying it, but, I've, but I was essentially disgusted by the, by the entire thing. Like it's, it's, Appalling.
3: Anyway, well, needless to say, uh, you know, in in the heritage of the Royal Marine Commandos, it's um, it's very much put on a very very high pedestal.
0: Well, and and I can, I can and the thing is, I can completely see why, but there are elements of it where you just think, oh my god, you know, like what? Yeah, how, how have you ended up essentially in this in this situation? Is the thing. How has this happened? A touch of Hopkinson going on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and anyway, should we, should, we, should we talk about Frankton
3: then? Let's talk about Frankton. Let's talk about Frankton because it's, it's such an interesting raid. But I, I just can't tell you how much my mind is buzzing with that, that operation having done this weekend and knowing what I'm going to do in a couple of weeks' time. It, it just, God, talk about experiential research. It really, um, it really opens your minds. I mean, I am seriously stiff today. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, and when I got out of the car, when I got home from Devon last night, I could literally hardly lift my leg off the, you know, onto 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 the kind of you know onto the clutch. I mean, it was.
0: Well, I'm gonna before <laughs> we go any further, they were a lot younger than you, Jim. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. And actually, I think the 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 was well, five of us actually because there's there's Mike as well who's come along, um, who's who's sort of filming it. Um, which is quite fun. We're going to do it for Saffa as well, which is, yeah, good, you know, uh, brilliant. Good, good cause. Superb. So we've got our Just For Giving page all set up. But, but yeah, so we're five of us. And I think we were all kind of pretty similar. I think Mike's a bit younger than us, but but Ben, um, Saul. Saul's a bit older. Uh, he's like 55, I think. Ben's 50. Rob's 50. I'm 53. You know, so we're all similar sort of age. And actually, I, I think we will be sort of held up fitness-wise, just about. Mm. Yeah. So you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm sort of daunted by Scotland, but I'm not thinking Kylie, moly moly, I'm never going to do it.
0: No, of course, good. Well, and you just amazing. feel a
3: little bit more manly doing kind of you know rough camping and stuff. You just, do. <laughs> you know, there's there's, there's no <laughs> privations. You know, I mean, there's no, um, um, that's not the word. There are lots of privations. So you, you know, yeah, yeah it's all a bit kind of rough and ready. You know, Wash it, wa- washing washing out the porridge pot with your hand. I mean, I feel more manly just,
0: just drinking in water spoons. So you know, you. you. <laughs> <laughs> um,
3: <laughs> getting past the bouncers of Barnstaple yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly yeah, 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 right yeah. so Operation Frankton which people will know as the Cockleshell Heroes Raid because after all yeah. one of the interesting things about this is it, it got it got immortalised and it's had a film made about it and all that sort of stuff which I think is which after all and, and a 50s war film in black and white so it very much sits in the Tales of Pluck pantheon of British war movies doesn't it um, yeah I, I mean although it's one of those films where it's lots of paddling um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> how many hours straight did you paddle moat maximum? What? Well, we were we, we we
3: were out on the water at eight thirty yesterday, and we got back at three thirty. Right, and we had about an hour and a half off at Saunton Stands while we were waiting for the tide to turn. And what you do is you paddle for a bit, and then you kind of pause and just rest up for a bit out at sea. Yeah, but actually, the last stretch was two and a half hours, and I've got to say that was you know by the yeah about. An hour before that, I was thinking, "I'm I'm done with today. I, I can't be bothered to do this anymore." But it was quite hard. What was quite funny was I was partnered up with Ben, and Ben and I spent the hard, most of the weekend talking like that very calm bomber pilot. You know, there's that that, that BBC archive. Yeah, yeah. Bombs away, skipper. Well done, navigator. <laughs> <laughs> All that sort of stuff. So so, so, so Ben would go now. Mounting now. <laughs> Have mounted. It's just, it just so funny. <laughs> and I'd say things like, hard to port 115, please, navigator. <laughs> See, he, he was on the rudder. Yeah. Uh, it was just very funny. And, and the more I was, I was just sort of thinking about it, I was sort of paddling up the river, I was just thinking about all those those bomber crews. Yeah. Who really did talk like that. Yeah, they did, yeah. And just unspeakably calm, despite you know, like that, just falling all around, <laughs> yeah, them, yeah. flak bursting and all the rest yeah, of it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Careful on the starboard wing, flak alert. Well, I suppose, because I remember listening to the, um, there's some Gulf War record, first Gulf War recordings that I'm hearing, where basically the, the RAF pilots are doing that. The, the tornado pilots are going, uh, approaching, approaching target, uh, you know, 200 feet, like, like that. Standby weapons or whatever, you know? yeah. <laughs> and then the, the contrasting American pilots going, "Oh my god, they're firing at us!" This sort of like completely it's steel bones struck, exactly. Completely different like cultural approach to the thing. Um, but that's so anyways, con- all that
3: was very funny. And, and oh, that's that, great, Jim.
0: That um, <laughs>
3: certainly made me laugh.
0: Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> right. But the story of Fr- so Frankton. Frankton yes. comes at us via you know, it- but it's Hazard's idea. It's Blondie Hazard. It.
3: So we should talk about Blondie Hasler very
0: quickly. Let's talk about Blondie so Hasler. Blondie
3: Hasler, Herbert Ooh. Blondie Hasler. And he's called Blondie because obviously he's got blonde hair. And he's got, a, he's got one of those sort of 1980s moustaches that all squaddies serving in Ireland and Falklands had but don't really have anymore. Uh, but he had one obviously in 1943, 42. So he's born in, in Dublin in 1914. He's the son of an army lieutenant and he's massively into sailing and boats and all the rest of it. And he makes his own canoe as a nipper. Yeah. from a, from a Plans from a boy's own paper. Yes. And he's in, he's in Norway, isn't he? And then he joins the commandos when they're formed. No, he's already in the commandos. That's right. He's already in the commandos. And then he comes up with these ideas because he's so obsessed with, with canoes and kayaks. So he is a bit like George Hopkinson, who, um, for those of you who've listened to previous podcasts, will know that he's the guy behind the glider, yeah. uh, the glider regiment.
0: And well, yes, he's he's the first commanding officer of First Airborne Division, and he's the he's First Airborne Division.
3: But he's obsessed yeah. with gliders. He's well.
0: completely obsessed with gliders. He thinks that's the, that's the way that's the way to do it, and and it's part of the power struggle between the glider and the parachute people and all that and all, and that. all that. So all anyway, that so, so there's there's a,
3: there's a touch of Holkington about Hasler. So he's obsessed with kayaking and thinks that the great thing about them is that you know once once you're kind of absolutely au fait a kayak, you can you can go anywhere, do anything, and you can get in. More importantly, you can get in really really close silently. Yep. And so he comes up with this idea to create what is known as the Royal Marines Boom Tr- Patrol Detachment. So the idea is that you, you, you sneak into a harbour, yep. you plant limpet mines, and then you bugger off again. Yeah, And he persuades the powers that be, Mountbatten, yep. at combined operations, that this is something that
0: should be, should be created. I mean, he's a man of tremendous Push and go, isn't he? That's the, that's and charisma. And charisma and twinkly blue eyes and and you know, one of those fellows who I and mean, there's this amazing in Salisbury, book, there's this amazing Hard as nails. Amazing um I am Major Hasler, the officer said softly, before asking a series of questions that made no sense. This guy, um, this guy sparks, his oh, Bill, yeah, Bill Sparks. sparks Hugs, Bill Sparks. Yeah. Can you swim? Yes, sir. Do you have experience with small boats? No, sir. Are you married? No, sir. And 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 basically that's because Hasler is looking for unmarried men who possessed a fighting spirit, natural intelligence, resourcefulness, self-reliance. But basically, if you're unmarried, you're in. Yeah.
3: But, if you're married, forget it.
0: Because that's the kind of outfit he's putting together, and that's the kind of mission he's thinking they're, they're going to be going on. Yeah. That they're not coming back from. I mean, it's you're after a good start.
3: But right from the word go, it is Bordeaux that he's thinking of. Yeah, yeah. And the reason he's thinking about this is because – Bordeaux lies sort of 60, 70 miles inland on the River Gironde. And the River Gironde is is this huge, really wide estuary that flows out into the North Atlantic. And it's quite wide for quite a long time. And then it narrows, but it's quite deep. So you it's, it's got quite a decent-sized port. Yes. And for all sorts of reasons, it's quite difficult to, you know, you, you can bomb it, of course. Yeah. Um, you can try and bomb it, but but that's very difficult because, you know, it's a lot of flak there around, around Bordeaux for obvious reasons. But you can't send in you know, MTBs, you know, motor torpedo boats or motor gun boats or anything like that. You know, it's, it, it's too well protected. And there's some 30 Kriegsmarine, you know, German Navy vessels there of various sizes, frigates, you know, motor launches, S boats, all that kind Yeah, of yeah. stuff. And so it's an absolute no, no. So the only way you could get to Bordeaux is by something like a kayak or parachuting in or whatever. And that's, that's the big issue. And so Hazard comes up with this idea and the reason Bordeaux is important is because it's quite a major port. It, it because it's quite far south. It's sort of it it's a little bit further out from the blockade. Yeah. The yep. Royal Navy blockade It's harder to police.
0: Bordeaux this is a consequence of the strategic earthquake after all. The the, the Germans have access to these these ports and facilities on the French coast that they otherwise wouldn't have and this is all part of, p- part of the consequence of the strategic earth, earthquake is so the royal navy in particular is looking to, for answers to questions it, it never thought it was going to have to find answers to because the idea was you contain the germans they don't have access to brest and bordeaux and all, and, yep. and all these all and these the deep water and the atlantic ports all these deep water facilities that they can then run the battle atlantic from so that, so you can see why hasler's part of a picture of people trying to find ways to come up with answers to this because yeah. Because no one had done any thinking along these lines before, is the, yep. is the truth. Because, you know, even two years after the summer of 1940, they're, they're still scratching their heads as to how I actually bring, bring this sort of thing about, aren't they? Yeah.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And for some reason, it's a, it's a port where, where they receive a lot of rubber, which, of course, everyone needs in the Second World War. Yeah. You know, both sides, you need for wheels and tracks and all the rest of it. But where would that rubber come from? Would that be coming from sort of Africa? I, I don't know. Vichy French Africa, somewhere like that. Maybe, I guess. yeah,
0: maybe. Yeah, because the Germans really. haven't got any possessions have Or from they? the Japanese, you know. Yeah, maybe.
3: But anyway, so it, it, it's rubber, and they've, they've got twenty-five thousand tons of of rubber coming into Bordeaux between June nineteen forty-one and June nineteen forty-two. Which I suppose that's quite a lot, isn't it?
0: Well, if you can create a situation where they don't get those twenty-five thousand tons coming in, then that's a good thing, isn't it?
3: Yeah, and for the price of twelve good men and true, maybe. Well that's clearly part of the
0: calculation. <laughs> it?
3: So it's very much so so, so has it so he has gets the gets a go ahead. He's the um he's the commanding officer and Captain JD Stewart is the second in command and there's 34 of them they're all volunteers and I don't think he was shy about stressing that you know they were going to be doing dangerous stuff.
0: Yeah.
3: To be fair, so I think everyone kind of they didn't know what they were getting themselves into but they knew it was going to be quite fruity. Yeah. Uh, and they practice in, in um, South Sea. Yep. And they start, and, and he comes up, Hasser comes up with a plan for, for Operation Frankton on the 21st of September 1942. Rather, he hasn't come up with it then. He submits his written plan. And initially, this is just three kayaks. So that's six men, two, two men by kayaks. And these kayaks are, are fold-bots, so they're fold-away canvas boats about 11 foot
0: long. Yep. But they're an earlier model called a cockle Two. So they can be deployed from a submarine. Yes, that's yes, why you need but- a folding boat, right? Because you need to be able to get it in and out of a submarine. Because uh, otherwise, you'd you'd probably go in something more sturdy. Um, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But I but but
3: I tell you what, that you know, it's quite a lot of things to sort of clunk about. So you would make them up in a it, making them up in a in a submarine. I think would be pretty tricky. Yeah, you know, you've got to make the shelf. You make the the sort of skeleton first. Yeah. So you lay out the canvas as a sort of rubber base on the rubber rubberized canvas at the bottom on the bottom half and then you start fitting all the kind of struts and you know the ribs and all this kind of stuff and you add to it and at the end of it you've got a you know a boat which is two foot wide or whatever and 11 foot long yeah and the narrow confines of a submarine you've then got to get it out because you can't you can't assemble it on deck at night no so you've got so you've then got to pass it up through the through the conning tower you can see why there's sort of scope for quite
0: big cock-up. Well, yeah. And what we're talking about here is the business of assembling the boat and getting it out of the U-boat. We are not yet on the water. Correct.
3: So, so But anyway, but the, that's the idea of the, of, of the Fulbert. And, and the Fulberts they're using are Cockle Twos, which is why they're eventually called the Cockle Shell Heroes, but the 1956 book of the same name and as the film, obviously. And so that's the original plan. And, and they're going to paddle by night, hide up, lay up by day and take three nights to get there. And then they're going to plant a ton of limpet mines on boats, blow them up, set them a timer so they can get away, sink their boats and then walk from, from Bordeaux to the Spanish border. And, you know, over, over the time that we've been looking at, at the Second World War, we've come across some pretty harebrained plans. Yes. Let's face it. Yep. You know, the plan for the Ponte Grande. But Colossus. Bustian, Colossus. I mean, Colossus,
0: Colossus includes a walk 60 miles to somewhere else through enemy territory to meet Chastise. It. I mean, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Chindit 2. Yeah, exa- well, ch- Chindit 1. I mean, Chindit 1. You know. let's, let's just stick
3: with Chindit 1. There's some pretty hairbrained <laughs> ideas. Yeah. But as you're saying this, it's, okay, six men. Every part of the plan has to work for it to work.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, and the times where we've talked about those things – what happens is none of the parts of the plan
3: work. Anyway, so 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 what happens is, is that Mountbatten gives the green light on the because uh, he's the Mountbatten is of course the uh, commander of, of yep. combined operations. He gives the green light on the thirteenth of October and insists on increasing the number to six. Has he tells Hasa that he can't go as commander. Hasa you know blows a hooli and 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 chucks his toys out of the pram and he relents. So. They've done some training. They've done some training on. They've 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 gone from Margate to, to Deptford, yeah, which is a sort of similar sort of size. And the plan is to launch them in December. But should we uh, should we take a break now?
0: Well, let's take a break. But just before we do, this is Hasler uses four points to um, persuade Combined Operations to let him go. Right, he says. First of all, uh, it was an important operation with a good chance of success, but only Hasler has the small boat, seamanship and navigation skills needed for such a mission. So you've got to pick me, G- uh, got to pick me boss.
3: And Mountbatten's persuaded by this.
0: Yeah. Any failure would prejudice all future operations. The commanding officer was, is duty-bound to go on a new unit's first operation if he wants to gain his men's respect. And if he was barred from this one, he asked what type of operation would be permissible for him to go on. After all, had not Major David Sterling accompanied many of the SAS's missions?
3: Mm.
0: And that he takes those arguments to conference, and Mountbatten says, "Much against my better judgment, I am going to let you go." It's extraordinary. Yeah, I mean, what a pushy, pushy man he was. Um, we'll take a very, very short break, and we'll come back to find out. I mean, you all know what happens next, but it's th- th- the detail of it is extraordinary. Do
3: you vote? I mean, you know, for those who
0: don't, there might be some people out there who've never heard of Operation Frank. Yeah, exactly. One after a ding dong battle, as he said in his diary. <laughs> Soon a tick, we'll be back after the break. Welcome back to We Have Ways of Make You Talk, where James and I are talking about Operation Frankton, the Cockle Shell Heroes. Blondie Hasler has just persuaded Lord Mountbatten to let him go on his mission. So he's chosen crews.
3: He has, but he's also chosen what they're going to take. Because obviously, the, one of the problems with a Fulbert is that it, it, you can only take a limited amount of stuff. Yeah. Shall we go through what, what each cockle is going to carry? Yeah, on? go on. Yeah. Two men, eight limpet mines, three sets of paddles, two hand grenades one repair bag, depth-sounding reel, fishing line, waterproof watch, water and rations for six days, plus a spanner to activate the mines and a magnet to hold the cockle to the side of the ship while putting on the mines. So the total load is £480, which is in, in new money is 220 kilograms. <laughs> what that tells me is they are seriously under-defended. So the only thing they've got to defend themselves are two aggregates.
0: I oh, no. No pistols. Nope. no stun gun. Obviously, the idea is that you don't get in a fight, though. You're not getting into a f- any fights.
3: Yes, but there's a huge amount of assumption that everything's going to go according to plan, isn't there? That's the problem.
0: Everything is going to go according to plan because Blondie has has got it all worked out.
3: Yeah. he's the only one who's ever done anything like this before. Well... And he hasn't done it for this, but I mean this kind of level of seamanship.
0: Yeah. So
3: he splits them into two teams.
0: Yes. Himself and Bill Sparks, who we encountered earlier on in Catfish... So there's A division and B division, uh, uh, Corporal Albert Laver and Marine William Mills in Crayfish. And one of the things about these names is if you're shouting, Oi, catfish, or Oi, crayfish, and you only hear the fish bit, these names are already not, you know, surely one should be called red, green, you know, names that you cannot possibly. Yeah, Confuse. Confused, right. I mean, it's just, just my immediate thought glancing at these. Angels so,
3: 15, bandits incoming 12 o'clock. Exactly. They're differently categorised, aren't they? Yeah. Well, it's completely clear. You can't. The whole point is that you say so you can't confuse it.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But Catfish, and then uh, Corporal George Sheard and Marine David Moffat in Conga, right? And I get the... Fish names, fine, but you could go Salmon, Trout, conger, and then the, there's three very And
3: then, few- yes, exactly. Then Grayling, Place, and...
0: Exactly. And then it goes on. Um, B Division is uh, Lieutenant John McKinnon and Marine James Conway in Cuttlefish. <laughs> um, Sergeant Samuel Wallace and Marine Robert Ewitt in Coalfish. Marine W.A. Ellery and Marine E. Fisher in Catchalot. And there's a reserve, Marine Norman Colley.
3: He never gets off the sub.
0: He never gets off the submarine. And I imagine, oh, God knows how he felt. Pretty relieved. <laughs> oh, but also, <laughs> relieved, but also, you'd want to go, wouldn't you? You'd want to go. You've already you'd want to go. Gang. If you're one of this yeah. little gang, this these 12 guys, you want to go, don't you? That's why you're doing it. Anyway, so they depart Holy Lock um, in Scotland on the 30th of September. November. Uh, November, rather. Sorry. And HMS Tuner. Another fish name they could have used, um, commanded by <laughs> Lieutenant Commander Dick Rakes DSO. I mean, you
3: could you could have minnow, couldn't you? Shot? I think I,
0: exactly. I just sort of, I just think you know, we're not obviously these men are phenomenally brave and incredibly, uh, incredibly driven, and and what and and what they're taking on is is beyond my soft handed comprehension. But just that little thing of these names not being clear enough, although as we're going to see, you know, th- th- there's lots that goes awry. Anyway, so they surfaced. 10 miles from the mouth of the Gironde, which and obviously the submarine's being careful. And now the Navy will be going, we're not going any closer. No way. Nope, no that way. Ain't, that ain't happening. Not into that choppy sea at the mouth of the estuary. Exactly, right? So they, they surface 10 miles from the, su- uh, from the mouth of the Gironde. Catchalot's hull is damaged while being moved out of the stub, so it has to stay behind. So immediately, the thing we we're talking about, getting the folded, assembled, loaded, and out of the submarine.
3: And, and listen, you, you've been on a submarine. Uh, you've been on a submarine, haven't you? I mean, there are loads and loads of things to bang your head on. Yeah. Or snag the underside of your rubber canvas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it, I mean, yeah. you can just see how this
0: would have happened. You really, really can. And I imagine that Hazers accepted the doubling of the size of the force. All right, we'll build some redundancy in. So there's some redundancy being played out. If he thinks he can do it with three kayaks, well, he's going to have to, you know, and he's been given six, he's going to have to do it with five now. So he probably thinks we're still good. You know, we're still golden. We've still got enough people to pull this off because I only needed three boats.
3: Yeah. And we should, we should say that the whole point of doing it in December is so you have really, really long nights. Yeah. Although the problem
0: with that is there are really, really, really long nights. And the weather's terrible.
3: And the weather's terrible. It's really cold. And, you know, the water's cold by then. So if anything goes wrong, you know, they haven't got dry suits in those days. No. They've just got a cap comforter and a jolly good smock and, you know, roll on
0: that jumper. Did suit you the cap comforter, Jim, and the picture you sent? Yeah, that's no, a good look. It's, it's a great look. look. Were you wearing dry suits?
3: No, we were wearing wet suits, but I think we were wearing dry suits in Scotland. So wet suits are a bit of a nightmare, to be honest, because you know you get warm and everything. But but end of the day on Saturday when we were doing our capsizing exercises, I, I mean I should just tell you about this because it's it's, yeah, it's, it's it's so you have to you have to go. Okay, one, two, three, over you yeah. go. And what so Ben would go preparing to capsize? One, yeah, preparing yeah, to three, capsize every. on my number three, two, one, go. <laughs> Exactly, all that kind of stuff. So um, (laughs) I'd say Roger Skipper. (laughs) It was very funny. Anyway, so then then you get in the water and you're sort of gasping a bit. Then you've got to get, you've got to attach your paddle to Mm. the side of the Fulbert. Right. First of all, that's the first thing you've got to do while training water. Yeah. You know, and all your kit. So it doesn't float off. Yeah. Then you've got to duck under it and put your head into your. Space where your bum rolls,
0: right? Yeah,
3: yeah. And then on Ben's instructions, you go three, two, one, turning to turning to starboard. So I was like, so that's towards the the far far bank. Pause. Yes, <laughs> I think so. <laughs> but anyway, we did it. We managed to do it the right way. And then you've got to get onto it. So what you how to get get onto it? Okay. So the person at the uh, the stern gets in first. Yeah, guy on the rudder. So that's Ben. Yeah. So I have to get onto the bow, and I have to straddle my. Le- I have to cling onto the end of the bow and straddle my legs onto either side of it. While he gets in, like a monkey. Yeah. So a monkey grip while he gets on. Yeah. And then you have to pull yourself up the bow. Right. Because okay, you've got to keep really low. Low profile is the key to get getting in. So you basically have to you have to crawl along along the the kayak, right. basically until my head's in Ben's crutch, which is kind right. of an interesting moment.
0: I mean, you're both tall,
3: aren't you? That's the other thing. Is yeah, but also, you know, I'm a big unit, and so yeah, yeah, you then got yeah. you then got to kind of drop your legs in and swivel around and hope that it doesn't capsize again. You start all over again. God I mean, it's alive. A, so, so Theo beside me is just looking at the picture I posted earlier of me because that's just me capsizing. That that wasn't the the drill, but it's 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 quite a thing. And and you know, it's 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 a big enough thing that you know. And this is right at the end of the day where we've been kind of fighting all these winds and waves and yeah, you know tidal clashes and all the rest of it. And it's freaking knackering. <laughs> it really is tiring. And you're just going, I just can't, I can't even begin to think what I'm going to do if I've got to do this again. God. Anyway, that's by the by. But as you say, 53, not 23.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And also, I mean, the average fella back then would be, I don't know, six inches shorter than you. Sportless. Yeah, much lighter. You know, and, you know, have a 38
3: eight inch waist uh, chest and, and uh, yeah, and only weigh kind of nine stone 11. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah,
0: yeah. Anyway, so the five kayaks, because we've, we've lost... We've lost catch a lot, so we've lost a, we've lost one of the uh, kayaks that doesn't have fish in its name, so that the opportunities confusion <laughs> could continue um at five set off at half past seven nineteen thirty hours on the seventh of December, although there's some debate about that right about yep. when they actually leave yeah,
3: exactly when they leave but it, i mean whether they left at nineteen thirty 1930,
0: nineteen thirty
3: six or eighteen twenty two yeah. yeah, I don't really care yeah. Yeah. They left on the evening of the seventh, that's all that matters. Yeah.
0: And it, there's wind, tide Crosswinds. Um,
3: and and there's a Gironde coming out into the sea. That's that's a problem. So so
0: you've got the the flow of the river. Giant river current. And the yeah.
3: and the tide coming in. So obviously they they timed it so that they go in with the tide. That's the whole yeah. point. So the tide carries you. Yeah. But there's still a clash where the river meets the tide. and, and, and they, they they encounter kind of, you know, five foot waves. Well that that's I think that's about a Force 5. Yeah. So that was a little bit stronger than it was when we were out there the other day. Yeah. But we were doing it in daytime, and it was quite sunny, and the water was quite warm because it's October. Yeah. They're doing it in December, the place they've never been to before, in the yeah, middle of the night. I mean- the, the, it's, a, it's a totally, totally different kettle of fish. I mean,
0: so much of this comes down to, um, you know, obviously time spent on reconnaissance is never time wasted, It's the old ad, isn't it? <laughs> and the, 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 there's, the, there is no reconnaissance. There's
3: no prep. There's prep, but there's no reconnaissance.
0: You can't do any reconnoiter for this. So that's the case with basically all of these um combined operations raids that that go down. All the different varieties is that, no, they don't really know where they're going. And so there's that kind of gumption over reconnaissance as your attitude, isn't there? Yeah. You know, and famous for the before Colossus, before the, the, the trajano Aqueduct, Admiral Keyes, you know, says, what a terrible waste, as he says goodbye to them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's it's that, and actually, funny enough, right, I mean, old school listeners will be delighted I'm about to do this, but when you look at the one of the problems in Arnhem, it's no one knows the lay of the land in the town. They've looked at it on maps, but they've got no understanding, no recce, there's no recce. So they don't know where the railway cutting...
3: Or how steep it is.
0: Or how steep it is. They, and they've seen high ground on a map, yep. so they're, they're thinking in terms of dealing with the high ground that's on the map, but they don't really know how the street layout works for you. Yeah. Or what what position it puts you in you in you and this is the risk of these kind of essential special operations things where recce is impossible yeah. and you can have as many aerial photos as you like um, but they they have not I mean you know they have not walked the ground in advance no. I mean it's, no, no, it's, no 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 and this is what they're immediately up against so coalfish disappears
3: yes and and also it's just it's you know f- from from the kayaking point of view that is clearly the toughest single bit is is getting into the the Gironde from the mouth of it, but you've already done 10 miles from, from the submarine. You know, let's say kind of nine miles out, you 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 hit this. I mean, that is an absolute shocker yeah. at, at night. You yeah. c- I can completely understand, even with skilled people. And also, the other thing is, is they've only been doing this since June, July, yeah. rather. Yeah. So they've done lots of training. Of course they have. But it's not like they've been doing it like Hasler since he was knee e grasshopper.
0: They've also not, you know, the winter training they've done. It's not like they've had a winter to do winter training. They haven't had a previous winter in which to...
3: And they don't have dry suits. And, you know, they've got, you know, whatever they've got. I don't know what they're wearing, but but it's not the same. It's not as good. Yeah, so coalfish just completely disappears. Yep. Conger is capsizes. and They just, they can't get it as they try and turn it back around again. They can't get the water out of it enough. And the waves are too rough. So... Yes, yeah, so catfish, which is, which is, which is Sparks and, and Hasler, tow them for a little bit yeah. till they're kind of into the mouth of the, of the Gironde, yeah. where, where the waters die down a little bit, yeah. and gets them kind of so they're kind of near to the shore. They then scuttle it, and he goes, right, you know, make a break for it to, to the shore. But, you know, what happens to them is they then die of hypothermia. And then the water, right? The, you know, the water is coming in. So one of their bodies gets swept to the eel ray. So they assume that they've just been drowned, but they haven't. They've actually died of hypothermia. And again, you can completely understand that. I mean, on Saturday night, after we had our dunking and everything, it was a cold, bitterly wind and everything. Yeah. And I spent the whole evening just feeling absolutely cold to my to my cool. bones. I just I yeah. couldn't warm up. Yeah. And and you know the others were saying the same thing. They just hadn't. It took ages to just get you going again. Yeah, and of course they're in just soggy wool and, <laughs> you know, and all yeah. that kind of stuff. It's just it's a nightmare. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's yeah. no surprise that they die of hypothermia. Yeah, but that's what happens to them. So now we've got that's four down because they've got two still
0: on the boat on the submarine. Yeah. So um, they get into the Gironde. and they make about twenty miles, which is quite good. Yeah, it's a pretty good going. But in theory, once you're in the river, if you you know you, you're not going to get as bad weather you know, out on the sea exposed, the, the, the Gironde at least is not as exposed as out in the ocean.
3: No, the tide would be taking them. And when it calms down, you know, they would be going at kind of sort of five or six knots. Yeah, yeah. So you can see how you'd easily do that in in five hours. Yeah. So they they reach a place called Saint Vivian du Medoc. And they've also had to navigate, haven't they, some, some enemy boats. Let's see some
0: frigates and stuff and, yeah, sneak past them.
3: Coalfish reappears. They have actually made it. They've just lost contact, but they've, re-made, they've made it. Um, and they land a little bit further away at Pond de Grave Lighthouse. Yeah. And as soon as they do, they're picked up by the French. Yeah. By the Gendarmerie. Yeah. Who immediately hand them over to the
0: Germans. Big shout out to the Gendarmerie there. Well yeah, done, lads. Bastards. Nice day at the office. I mean, the, and of course, the thing to remember is the commando order has, has happened by now. Yep. So... And even though they've no pistols and no commando daggers, which, after all, the, the, the dagger is supposedly the thing that get you know, it's the, it's the outrageous part of being a commando, isn't it, as far as the Germans are concerned, as far as the Hitler's concerned. They're, they're shot because of the commando order.
3: A few days later, yeah, in a wood just north of Bordeaux. Yeah. Which I always find absolutely amazing because they do this with all the guys, you know, the first glider operation when, um, when they're going to Norway in October, ni- is it October? No, November 1942, October 1942. Yeah, yeah. They're all shot in a wood north of Oslo. Yes, they are, yeah. You know, German, Germans don't like shooting people in prisons, or but they take them to a wood, shoot them on the sh- on the kind of you know on the sly where no one's looking and no one notices.
0: Well, because it says that even though there is a commando order, that, that you know, even though they've made this order clear, they know it's a bit dodgy and and there's some some nacht and I mean it's sort of nacht and nabel around things, isn't it? The, yeah, it's
3: horrible, isn't it? And they bury them in the woods. It's just grim. Yeah. Anyway,
0: I mean, maybe we should one day. We should get someone. Maybe we will get Chalky in to talk about that glider operation.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But well, what's his name? Ray Mears. He did it, didn't he?
0: Yeah, he did. He did, and he went and ate berries, didn't he? In the in the tundra, basically Norwegian. Norwegian. Anyway, carry Wait, on. on. Lee,
3: Lee, the aforementioned Lee. He's yes. done um, Operation Muscatine. Has he? Yeah. Ah. He paddled into the fjord, then he went over the glacier down to the hydroelectric plant, and came back in. Blimey. That's a trip. That is wow. A
0: trip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Just saying it's a good, good one to do, yeah. <laughs> now you're into it, <laughs> yeah.
3: So there's only two left now. There's only two yeah. left there's, there's catfish and crayfish, so it's yeah. Hasler and Sparks, and crayfish is Laver and Mills, yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of seas, aren't there? A lot of seas, a lot of fish,
0: yes, exactly. So the second night, but they've been, yeah. I mean, the thing is, is they've been you didn't get much sleep because of the cold. So they'd not, they've not—they've not been getting a lot of sleep, have they? That's the thing.
3: Like you like during the day, but you know how much are you going to yeah. have someone on guard, haven't you?
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, that's it, isn't it? So, so someone's got to be on picket. Although he can't—you de- can't defend yourselves.
3: It's good, yeah, but you have just got to keep a watch out, haven't you? But it's, it can't be more than kind of four hours max in twenty-four hours, can it? Yeah. Anyway, the second night they 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 paddle further. It's not much around. Uh, and they, they managed to do 22 miles, and that's all okay. And the third night, they far, paddle a further
0: 15 miles. And then the fourth night, only nine miles because there's a really, really strong tide.
3: Yes. So the tide is going back, you know, is, is going out by this point. Because, of course, obviously, it's not the same every single night. You're, you're working against, it's sort of changing, isn't it? How long does the tide take to go? It's like eight hours, nine hours? Uh,
0: well, um, they move, they, they shift, don't they? So they sort of come back an hour later every. You know, you'll have a high tide at noon, and the next day it'll be at one, and then
3: two. Okay, so it's 13 hours or whatever. If I, if, I remember,
0: hours, so. if I remember rightly.
3: Okay, but whatever. The point is, it's not the same every single night. So it does shift, which is why you're, you, would, you would find yourself, by the, by the kind of third night, you'd be fighting the tide rather than going with it. Um, and so they were originally supposed to launch a, the, the attack on that night of the 10th, 10th, 11th of September, but he changes it to the following night because of that tide, because they haven't made enough progress. And they're just knackered. And they've, so that means they've turned up. They're within spitting distance of Bordeaux too late to be able to do what they yeah, want they to do. they
0: haven't got the puff to do it. Yep. They
3: haven't got the puff to do it, but also they're just too late. They've got, they're running out of hours. Yeah. So they lay up short of Bordeaux and go and, and, and attack the following night. And the idea is to kind of move out into Bordeaux in the kind of early evening when it's, you know, once it's completely dark and, and, and try and start laying your, your limpet mines around 9 p.m. Hazard the splits them into two. So he's on, the, um, he's on the left-hand side of the harbour. So that would be the north, I suppose. And they attach eight limpets on four different vessels, including a German patrol boat. And at one point, a guard comes out and shines a torch. And it looks like they're absolutely in the beams, but he, for whatever reason, he doesn't seem to see them. Or
0: And it's Bill Mill's birthday. Yeah. Bill Sparks. Yes. No. Sorry. Yes. And Sparks says goodbye to Bill Mills, who with Ellery was his closest friend of the unit. Oh, right. And Bill's is his, is Bills yeah, his yeah. birthday. Uh, this is in Salzburg. It would be a belated birthday celebration for Mills, who would turn 21 in just four days. Sparks and Laver were 20 and 22. Jesus. Uh, Blondie Hazler was 28. So, you know, they're young and up for it, is yeah. the thing. But anyway, th- so they, there's another thing that goes wrong though, isn't it? Because yes, they place eight limpet mines, for, um, you know, on a cargo ship and a small liner. and they Yeah, and Laver and Mills things. do the same and they damaged six vessels and and it's all good but unfortunately i mean and this is this is one of these things where you think what yeah how can this be how can this possibly have happened yeah um SOE are also in town that night to do pretty much the same thing the same thing but from the land claude de braisac coming by land rather than coming in in a like Extremely daring and difficult and challenging and risky way because of the secrecy around stuff. No one, combined ops don't know that <laughs> SOE are doing this. SOE don't know that combined ops are also yep. in town. And he hears the explosions going off in the early hours and aborts. I mean, I think it's um, absolutely amazing that they've reached. And obviously, one of the things on is, the same know, night, on the same night, and if Hazler had gone the night before, you know, if they'd been felt fit enough. Then, you know, De Bracac at least wouldn't have been turned up in Bordeaux to bomb, no. bomb things. So what was was the De Bracea? I'm not sure. I don't know. But it's the most it's just like it's the most amazing um, cock-up, isn't it? And obviously one of the one of the things one of the things we talked about is that at the beginning that what is uh, the special boat service during the war, and this is one of these products of there are loads and loads of private armies, people and, and little gangs, and people setting up their own little ops. And then if you're if you're good at if you're good at the chat, if you can get yourself to mount Mountbatten, make your case, you'll pr- you'll get a, you know a check written for one operation and see how it goes, see how it works out. And there's a lot of you know suck it and see going on. Yep. And this I think is a perfect example of where that leads you. <laughs> which yep. is there's no office. There's no one office who knows everything that's going on, which I think... Because yeah. after
3: all, this isn't two complete Lancaster cruise.
0: Yeah, as we've talked about before.
3: You know, so maybe it's just worth the punt, you know, that yeah. Hasler guy, is a bit mad, he's a bit full of himself. Yeah. You know, reckons he can pull it off, you know, end of the day, it's one submarine and handful of kites, which cost. you know...
0: Yeah, well, the submarine, and the submarine is the expensive part, which is why it drops them 10 miles out to sea.
3: Yeah, yeah, but, you know, if it comes off great, if it doesn't, well, you know, we've lost 12 men. Yeah, exactly. And a few and a handful of... Kayaks. Anyway, the bottom line is they, they do, the, the, the Olympic mines all blow up. Yeah. They don't sink a single boat, but they do damage lots. Yeah. Uh, which is quite annoying. And also it's that whole thing that, that now the Germans know that they can get there in theory. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so it's undermining it. So, so you know, you, you are sort of expecting to be a kind of mini Pearl Harbor, but it doesn't quite work out like that.
0: Although, the, the you know, that then means that the Germans now know they're going to have to guard Bordeaux more intensively, which draws people away, you know, creates chaos, uh, undermines... The, the, the Germans' uh, feeling of security and all that sort of thing.
3: Yeah, no, so- no, tactically, it's, there's no question that it's a, it's a worthwhile target. And, you know, what it achieved, I think, was worth, you know, was worth the... Well, I don't know, it's hard to say whether it's worth is worth, isn't it? But, but, but you, you know, it, it wasn't as if it was a dud. No. I think that's, that's what I'm trying to say.
0: No, are you saying it's 90% successful? <laughs> it's an old meme, but to, that'll to, work. To coin yeah. a phrase. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So anyway, so so then they done their explosives, they've damaged the boats, and then they have to, now the bit where, well, then we'll simply walk to...
3: Yeah, and they split up again. Yeah. They go off in pairs. They sink their Fulbert sort of ninety uh, four hundred yards apart. Yeah. All the best, champs. I just- See you for last orders and bloaty, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And off yeah. they go. Yeah. And Hazler and Sparks reach the border town of Ruffek which is 100 miles away on the 18th of December, which is, you know, that's pretty good going, really, sort of 20 miles a night. But, of course, Labour and Mills don't. They get stopped at montleur at garde by the Gendarmerie. Who hand them over to the Germans. And hand them over to the Germans. And what happens to them? They, they're executed, as were McKinnon and Conway. Yeah. Yeah. Two die of hyperthermia, six sixer shot, and two make it. Wouldn't you know it's it Hasler that makes it's it. It's Blondie
0: Hasler. I know, that's the, that's the really extraordinary thing about it, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yep.
3: So they're, they're taken in by a, a scapegoat line, Lena Mary Lindell and her son Maurice. And um, they meet up at the Hotel de la Toque Blanche yep. in Ruffek. And then they're hidden in a farm for 18 days, waiting for the right moment to cross the, cross the border. And at this point, I should say, combined operations assume the whole lot have been killed. Yeah. They've heard nothing. Yeah. And it's not until the 23rd of February that uh, I think by which time he's got to Gibraltar, that he makes a signal to – Haslam makes a signal. So can you come pick me up, please? I mean, it's
0: ab- it's, uh, I mean it is amazing that he survives. Um, yeah. uh, uh, well, uh, I do, see, I don't
3: think it is amazing that he survives. I think it's, 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 it's reasonable that he survives because he's, he's the best trained by some margin.
0: Yeah, that's
3: true. He knows what he's about. He's a little bit older.
0: Yeah.
3: He's been around the block a bit. He's, he's fought the Germans himself. He knows everything there is to know about kayaks. If you're going to do this mission, it's it's people like Hasler that you need, and I would say the problem is is all the others aren't like him. Yeah, they haven't got that kind of sixth sense and that that they haven't got that kind of understanding of boats. And I still think, think the hardest part of all is actually just getting to Bordeaux. Yeah, I mean, you know, that is
0: a seriously tough paddle. But again, I mean, you, if we're looking at it in terms of it's less than two Lancaster crews, in, in terms of strategic effect, I mean, what does it what does it do to the Germans in their defence of Bordeaux? Do they then? amp things up so they spend loads well, of... Well,
3: I, I can't find that much about that. I, I'm sure they must do. They must ramp it up. Yeah. I mean, because they know that it's been partially successful, because they heard a German communique saying that five boats have been damaged in a you know, raid by saboteurs, and they've all been executed. Yeah. Caught and apprehended and executed, which is another reason why the British think that they are all been killed. But I don't know. I don't know what I think about it, really. Hmm. I mean, this is this is all part of of that kind of you know set Europe ablaze, isn't it? it, it it's it's undermining. I mean, you know, if you're talking to Tom Petch, who's been doing all that work on you know deception operations, yeah, I think he would say this is part of it. You know, this is all this is what it does. It undermines the confidence of the defenders. It means you. It make it, it sort of you know prompts greater paranoia. And let's face it, the Nazis are pretty paranoid anyway. You know, it's it's it's
0: absolutely bonkers, isn't it? I find it very hard to sort of, um, because at the other end of the scale, I suppose, is the San Jose thing, you know, where where you do, do <laughs> a spectacular, right? <laughs> yeah. Go um, the other way around. Go, go the other way around, where you, you, you do it in full force, turn up and you smash the place up rather than come and go by stealth. Yeah. It's a very, very strange one, which doesn't, you know, how brave these men were and how tough they were and how determined they were and how, you know, all those sort of things. You can't take that away from it, but it feels so harebrained because of the, the just the sheer difficulty of the physical task. You know, I think it's telling that they're so exhausted they have to put the thing off by day.
3: Well, it's partly that, but it's partly it because they've just run out of time, you know, because, because run out of time for in the in the night, they haven't got the time to... Because you've got to go in, lay the limpet mines, then get back out again and get safety before they blow.
0: But that's because the actual paddling is getting harder
3: and more difficult. Yeah, and it would do, because they'd be short of sleep and, you know... And they're working against the tide and all that kind of stuff. And and, and that last bit it, it narrows. So I suppose that does that concentrate the tide? I don't know. I I, I don't know enough about it. I'll have to ask Lee next I think time I see. Run, it.
0: Probably runs faster. Yeah.
3: But but if you look at the if you look at the aerial map of the Gironde, it's it's much much narrower in the run up to because to, it's quite deep there as well. Still, because you have quite decent ships going in. So I guess that's suddenly kind of more water.
0: There's a great quote from Bill Sparks though. What did he say? As they pull up alongside the cargo ship. We could hear the crew singing, remembered Sparks. I wondered what they'd be singing in a few hours' time. It proved to be an easy target. I attached my magnet holder to the hull to prevent the tide from carrying us away. The major placed the first mine on the six foot rod and lowered it into the water, placing the mine on our stern. He detached the rod, having felt the limpet mine clamp itself to the hull. I released my magnetic holder and the tide slowly swept us along so we could place another midships and a third on our bows. It's, I mean, it's complete James Bond stuff, this. Yeah. Isn't it? And I think that's the, that, that's, what's so fascinating about it, but also, you know. It's time for a remake, I think. It's hard to call, isn't it, what what really to think of this?
3: Yeah, I mean, uh, massive hats off for them for doing it. I, I mean, you know, accepting that we're all over 50 and, and we haven't really done it before, you know, it is hard work. And I can see that doing that in those circumstances, it's, it's just a totally different caper to doing it in Devon when the sun's out and the sea's calm. You know, that little taste on Saturday afternoon we just had where, where the sea got a bit choppy and we were kind of fighting tidal flows and river flows and all that kind of stuff. It's, you suddenly, suddenly think, oh, my God, this is it's, – it's one thing when you've got the tide with you and you've got the flow with you. but When are you off to Scotland for this? Saturday the 28th or something like that. and then, well, then well, we, The next day is assembling the boats
0: right. and we start on the Monday. Well, we'll all be thinking of you, Jim. Um, thanks, <laughs> everyone, thanks, everyone, for <laughs> listening. By the way, um, on the Patreon, last week we did the sort of uh, equivalent of a reply all emails thing where we where we posted all of the talks from the festival um, um they will be coming out in a, more of a sequence than just one big dump yeah uh, if you are a patreonist we have ways patreon has all the all the talks from the we have ways festival die coming they're not all going to be there in one big lump because there'd be too much for you to do and none of you get anything done and you'd yeah, yeah, you'd, yeah. you'd get sort of sacked from your jobs and stuff we don't that want that. do that wouldn't do. Anyway, thanks everyone for listening. Good luck, Jim, with your with your paddling.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'll see you before then. But yeah. Yeah, yeah. See you tomorrow actually, because we're
0: talking to the um the great escaper. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We've got to watch it as well. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, thanks for listening, everybody. We will see you all very soon. Cheerio. Cheerio.
2: Hello listeners, it's Anita Arnand here from the Hanger sister podcast, Empire, which I host along with...
1: Me, William Dalrymple, and we are here to tell you about our new series on the founding fathers, the men who made America.
2: We wanted to look at the men who actually founded the country, who dreamt the dream, who wrote the words upon which a country would be born. What were they like? What made them do what they did? What did they actually believe in? And how did they come to play the role that they did in the American Revolution and the creation of America?
1: What really interested me about this was the contradictions. I mean, we expect these men to be great figures. We've seen the portraits in the galleries. We we know the faces from the banknotes. But they're deeply complex figures. But in that, and in that blend of contradiction and intellectual power and writing genius and curiosity and raw ability, lies the nuance and complexity that allows us to understand them. And the United States is in many ways a reflection of their beliefs, their experiences.
2: These are the men who wrote the Constitution. These are the men who created the federal system in every way. They are totally fundamental to what American politics looks like today.
1: It all goes back to this extraordinary group of men.
2: Yeah, and they have rip roaring yarns as well, let me tell you. So if you want to know why America is the way it is and who the men were who made it, you can listen by searching Empire wherever you get your podcasts.